Traveling the Vortex. Side trip. Lovely, lovely so far. I got here, um, I, I, I landed in Chicago on Monday and took the train here from Chicago to Newton and then the bus. So I've been here a couple of days actually. Um, Is this your first time to Kansas? Oh yes, yes, yes. First time to Kansas, yes. What do you yeah. think of it? Well, I'm liking it so far. Yeah, no, I like Wichita. So I like that. Uh, I took that little you know, trolley thing downtown and I found a couple of quite good bookshops and that was nice. I just went uh, this afternoon and had a peer at the um, the, the, uh, the Native American um, Keeper of the Plains. Yes, that's beautiful. Actually, that's a beautiful sculpture. I love it, and I love the um, the sculptures of people standing in the streets. Oh yeah. Um, Those are real people. They're just frozen. They're just frozen. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, so no, I'm I'm liking. It. I, I think it's a good vibe. I like it, Wichita. Yes. So you came to, tell, tell us a little bit how you came to Doctor Who. Because um, obviously you started with the fourth Doctor. I started did you audition? How did you well, yes, I, 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 um, I, was, I had done another program for the BBC. And, um, it, but before then I was actually working at the BBC as a clerk, which I did for about two months. Um, and it actually involved cutting up newspapers. It was a very boring job. It involved cutting up newspapers for the, um, the BBC News Archive. Literally, the, the person in charge would go through the Times and the Telegraph and all the other serious papers, mark the articles, and suggest a particular file for them. And if there was some enormously important story, like if Mrs. Thatcher met Ronald Reagan in Japan, then they'd probably have three copies of the article, one for the Reagan file, one for Thatcher, one except Reagan wasn't even in power yet, was he? Whoever it was. Uh, and one for Japan. So that, and so, and, you know, this is all before computers and that, so li even, you know, one of the biggest news organisations in the world, as the BBC was, they kept information literally in little sort of manila folders in, in you know, file drawers. So I was employed about two months to cut up these newspapers. <laughs> but I, I liked it because it was glamorous, because of course working with the BBC so it sat, you could tell your friend over somewhere from the BBC you don't tell him you're cutting up newspapers all day because <laughs> you just make it sound really quite glamorous. But there was an article in it, just a little article on a gossip page in one of the papers about the fact that they, they were looking for a Doctor Who was looking for um, a sort of artful Dodger type character. And one of the people who worked there said, oh, Matthew, look at this. You should, um, you, you, you should try and get into that. And I thought, oh, my God, I, yeah, I could do that. And uh, so I told the casting director, who, was, who had already cast me in this, uh, the, to serve them all my days. We hadn't started making it yet, but, but I was already cast in that. I said, oh, my God, I, I want to be in well, This is perfect. That's the perfect form. Artful Dodger. What could be more perfect? Um, so she um, put me up for it. And, um, and then I was, uh, John Nathan Turner called me in to me. And I, I was amazed. It was just fantastic. And, and we read. We read a little piece written by Christopher Bidmead, um, almost none of which I remember, except that um, the doctor makes a comment about uh, Peking duck. You know, Peking duck not being duck, it's chicken. Uh, or is it the other duck, the other sort of Chinese duck? Is it Peking duck? So. Yeah, Peking duck, Peking duck's fish, not chicken. Right. Yeah, sorry, it's Peking, it's Peking duck is fish, not duck. What am I talking about? So anyway, so um, the doctor said, well, the situation's a bit like Peking duck, isn't it? And Adric said, oh, what's that? what does that mean? He says, well, it means it's not duck. Peking duck isn't duck, is it? It's fish. So, oh, yes. So then John grilled me about whether I understood the subtlety 
of that scene. And I said, oh, yes, I understand it, absolutely. You're saying that it's not what it appears to be. And he said, oh, you're clever. So he brought me back. Um, he brought me back for a second meeting with uh, Chris Bidmead and um, Peter Moffat, the director, the man who directed Stage of Decay. And then the next day he phoned and said, oh, you're so fabulous, do you, you, you want to be in Doctor Who? I said, well, all right, well, I'll think about it. Can I have 24 hours to think about it? But no, it was fantastic, it was just amazing. But yeah, it was, it's like a lot of these life-changing things for, for people. They, they happen just really fast, so they are completely unexpected. So one minute I'm just, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do after a certain number of days, and then suddenly um, uh, I'm put into this fantastic programme. It was just amazing. Had you always wanted to be an actor? Yes, yes, yes. I read somewhere you were a fan of Doctor Who, and you'd even had something published in Doctor Who Weekly. Oh, don't, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> that's <laughs> dreadful. Uh, no, yes. I have a copy. Oh, no, don't, oh. no. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, that is the most embarrassing thing in the world. Yes, I did have a letter. It's a dreadfully pompous letter. The sort of letter that teenagers write when they're in a pompous frame of mind. It's dreadful. It's so embarrassing. Uh, of course, I was all excited when it was published. That's the thing is, you oh, oh, Dad, I've been published in the Doctor Who comic. And um, but about a few months later, it was just about the most embarrassing thing that had ever happened to me. Uh, and I wished I'd never written that wretched letter. Of course, Peter Capaldi wrote a letter to some, yeah, I think, yeah. the Radio yeah. Times, That's didn't right. he? Yes. Um, it was even more embarrassing, I think. <laughs> but uh, yes, I did, to my ever, everlasting embarrassment, I did have a letter published in that dreadful for magazine. <laughs> Um, yes. So, yeah. But, yeah, I, I mean, partly I, I was the first enthusiast to be in the series because I was the first person for whom that was possible generationally. I mean, Elizabeth Slade was already 12 when Doctor Who started. What did she care? She, it wasn't exciting to her. And, and, and Tom and Patrick, they didn't care in that sense because, you know, they were grown-ups when it started. I was the first one young enough to have been exposed to it as a very young child and, and to have seen the TARDIS... And, and had the impression of that extraordinary set when I was, you know, four years old or five years old or whatever it was. So that whole, that whole sort of chemical reaction that occurred, uh, I was the first actor for whom that could be true, but just because of the generational thing. Do you of remember course, what your first episode you ever saw was? The first episode I remember quite clearly was... Um, actually, it, 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 it's not a very good one. It's The Space Pirates. But I think I had probably, I'm almost certainly had seen some earlier. I think I must have done. But that's one, for some reason, I remember vividly, even though there's actually nothing memorable about it. That's an <laughs> odd one. Um, though it is very important in that it's Robert Holmes's first ever story. Nobody ever thought from the Space Pirates he would turn <laughs> into the, the sort of uber Doctor Who writer. But, um, but I, for some reason, I've always remembered that. And, of course, the Sidemen and the Sewers, everybody remembers vividly. They're, they're, um, so mid-late Patrick, I suppose. Did it change your perception of the show going from being somebody that watched Doctor Who to somebody on the show? Was there any sort of world-changing perception for you that you were like, well, this maybe isn't as grand as I think it is? Or were you generally excited? As you oh, I was generally excited. Oh, the script, the, the first script, the first script we recorded wasn't the first one actually uh, broadcast. The first one we made was State of Decay, Terence Dix's vampire one, which is a story I still love. And it was thrilling when the script arrived. I it was every bit as exciting as I thought it would. Um, and in the end, Doctor Who is it's a wonderful thing, but it has its limitations. It does have. It isn't an unlimited thing. You know, it, it does have limitations, and there is some frustration. I think every Doctor Who companion has found the tropes of the Doctor Who companion frustrating in some ways because they are so limited. In some ways, they're very passive. Um, they're also much more difficult to play than the Doctor, of course, because that sort of know-all acting is actually quite easy to do. 
the, the guy stalks about the place, the Sherlock Holmes type, stalking about the place, knowing everything. That's actually the easiest kind of thing to do, whereas the sort of Watson-type character, the more passive character, in some ways is actually more difficult to catch. People, don't, people who don't act for a living don't quite understand that, but it is, it's generally true. So that's, you know, the same, every, you know, if you ask Louise Jameson or well, just like anybody will say that they, they, they had grumpy days about, about the way their character was written. But, but that's a minor thing, because uh, on the whole, of course, for me, it was overwhelmingly exciting. And also, it has to be said, terrifying. It was absolutely petrifying. Um, but, but, but a very vivid and intense experience throughout. How much pressure was that? You were the youngest companion to date, well, up until Amelia Pond took over, but you, you, you were the youngest actor cast as a companion in Doctor Who. At that age, that had to be an amazing pressure cooker for you to be in there. Even at the, the time frame that the show was, was in, obviously the height of its popularity, and, and Tom was, you know, all over the world, and, and for you to come into that had to be... It, it was it, it was odd because it, it the British it, it was odd because British actors aren't in those days British actors weren't really stars and they weren't paid an enormous amount of money so it wasn't glamorous at all it, in the way people imagine Hollywood is actually I think Hollywood's completely unglamorous but people have a perception of it uh, but work at the BBC wasn't like that you weren't treated as something kind of starry and fabulous at, at all, particularly when you were really, really young. Uh, it was frightening and tense, but on, we rehearsed quite a lot. It, you know, it wasn't that we just... Uh, nowadays, a lot of television is done off the top of the head, basically. You, know, you learn the lines, you turn up. It's quite possible now, if you're doing a guest shot in Doctor Who now, but you don't have a scene with the Doctor, it's quite a strong chance you won't ever meet the Doctor. Whereas we were a, you know, a Doctor Who story in those days. We, we were a, like a rep company for a month. We were a group for a month. Uh, and my first one, Peter Moffat was a very caring, he was very sweet and, 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 and generous and, and um, as helpful as he could be. Uh, it, but but oh, there was other tensions because, because Tom, who I adore, is also very famously a difficult man. It's not an e- he's not an easy person to work around. And I found that really quite intimidating. He's, he's just not very easy. And, of course, he had the thing going on with Lala Ward, which was also not conducive to jollity. It has to be said. Um, so how did the atmosphere on the set change once Lala left? Oh, it, completely. Um, uh, God bless her, it's not her fault, but, but that, 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 the, the relationship between them was, I mean, unbelievably <laughs> awful. And then shortly after she left, they announced that they were going to get married. Peter Moffat, the director, telephoned and said, for God's sake, don't do it, it's a disaster. I said, no, no, we're so in love. No, don't. Um, but they did. It didn't go very well, as we all know. Um, poor Ramana's love. There's a story called Ramana's First. Then the untold Adric who Ramana loved. Oh, uh, poor Ramana. Uh, yes. Um, no, so, uh, yeah, so it was completely, yes, it was much more relaxed. I mean, but, you know, I'd, Lala's all right, but, 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 and in some ways it was the two of them. It wasn't particularly her or him. It was just the two of them together. And of course, sometimes they were jolly and sweet, and but often they weren't. And um, and that, there's no all these years later, there's nobody pretending that was easy. It was an easy atmosphere to work working. Uh, so yeah, and keeper. One, of, I mean, I love the keeper truck as a story. Anyway, I think it's a gorgeous piece. I love everything about it. I love the sets and the cast and the right. I love everything about it and the master and all that. But. But also, it was a happy production, and that makes a difference. You think fondly of it when, when the production is happy. Whereas the the the, uh, the East Space trilogy was made under, in quite often quite a tense atmosphere, to be honest. 
Um, but I think it comes out great. I actually love them. I, Stage Decay is possibly my favourite of the ones I was in. Well, I don't know. There are one or two others as well, but, but I do absolutely love it. A Warrior's Gate, of course, is an amazing thing. I mean, that's really brave. Children's children slash family TV doing something like that. I think it's just extraordinary. Stephen Gallagher's an amazing, amazing writer. I suppose the, the Adric's character, the way you perform is a little different in State of Decay than it is in anything else. I would assume that, I mean, there's slight variations on it. I would assume that's because of the shooting order. They, they kind of changed the character of Adric as they went, and the shooting order, and then, of course, the broadcast order of State of Decay maybe makes it a little more obvious that... State of Decay was there was a um, a uh, State of Decay was written by Terence Dix who had a little one page description of the character, uh, and he thought he was basically writing an artful dodger. That's what basically I, I think it's only about five or six lines. So he was working. That's all he had. And Andrew Smith, um, who wrote Full Circle, and who I, I I see still, you know, we're friends, and 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 I work with him. He writes a big finish as well, Andrew. So, so I see him occasionally uh, and still work with him as well. But Andrew's, Andrew's vision is entirely different. Yeah, Terence was just writing from this little few, little sort of, I don't know, 200-word summary. So they do feel very, they do feel very different. Um, and I actually said this. I said to Chris Bidmead when I, Full Circle arrived, I actually said, this doesn't feel the same. Texture's not, just not the same. And he said, oh, don't you worry about it, dear boy. And, of course, when you're very young, you don't want to be too big-mouthed about it. You don't want to, you know, if I was 30, I would say, look, Christopher, can we talk about this? It's not, I don't think this feels quite the same. But when you're really 18 and you're shy anyway, you, you, you say, look, oh, Christopher, I don't think it's quite the same. And he says, don't you worry about it, little boy. So, so then you just say, oh, all right, well, he knows what he's doing, I don't. So, um, so you just let it go. Do you think it was easier for fans of the show to connect with Adric because uh, he obviously was closer to their age than many of the companions that had come before. Yes, I mean, he was definitely designed for eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds. Yeah, he, that, that John had, had this sort of strata of things, a strata of characters to, to appeal to different facets of the audience. Um, and he was designed for... Because Doctor Who was... You know, it's easy to forget that we are talking about a program that was, in many ways, children's television, albeit it was other things as well. Um, and he was definitely there for, for children. Um, that was his intention. Um, and and in, if, in identification in television, there's always the theory that as far as it is identification, I'm not entirely sure that's what it's about, but, but to some extent, a, the identifier character is always older than the viewers who are supposed to identify with. So a 15-year-old character is designed to appeal to 9-year-olds. Um, a 20-year-old character is designed to appeal to 14, 15-year-olds. Uh, it's a general thing in television that the identifier thing is actually an age gap, um, which I sort of think is true, though I'm not sure that I buy the identifier thing myself anyway with Doctor Who, because the truth is, everybody fancies that they're the Doctor. Everybody stalks <laughs> Philip, I was on a panel with the wonderful Philip Hinchcliffe, the producer of Tom's first three years, and he was saying, um, he was talking to a girl, a young, you know, an eight-year-old girl or something about Doctor Who, and she said, so, so when you watch Doctor Who, do you, uh, do you still imagine that you're Sarah Jane Smith? She said, oh, no, I imagine I'm the Doctor. <laughs> so... 
So he said, ah, oh, so whatever your sex, the one you actually, in inverted commas, identify with is in fact the doctor, which makes it more interesting for the companions. If the companions aren't there just to represent the audience, then they can have their own life, their own perspective. They don't have to, in inverted commas, be the audience. I think there is, there's definitely an idea that companions are there for identification, but I've never entirely bought it. I do I agree with that girl. And when I was a kid, I thought I was Doctor Who. I, it, I never thought... I love Joe. I love, you know, uh, um, Billy Lethbridge-Stewart and uh, Jamie. and all. I love all of them. But I never sat there and thought... When I was playing Doctor Who in the playground when I was seven years old, trust me, I wasn't Jamie. <laughs> one of the sort of one, of, one of... one of my less brilliant friends had to be Jamie. <laughs> I was the Doctor. Though the trouble with that, actually playing Doctor Who in the playground when I was about seven years old, was, of course, other, other kids want to be the Doctor as well. So we actually did a sort of three Doctors thing long before they did it on TV. <laughs> because, because none of us wanted to be Jamie. We all wanted to be the Doctor. And I sure as hell wasn't going to be Jamie. I was going to be the Doctor. So, so, um, yeah, so, but yeah, so it's the Doctor that people fantasise about. Which, of course, says something a bit says that we're all ginormous egomaniacs because we're identifying with the cleverest man in the universe. And it never crosses our mind when we're eight years old that perhaps we're not the cleverest man in the universe. I'm almost more curious to ask if Fraser Hines has heard that story. Uh, yes, I think he has. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Probably several times, yes. So you then also went into stayed on the show and stuck around with Peter Davison. What was that transition like from with the lead Which actor? Which, again, if you're a Doctor Who kid, if, you, if that's your thing, and it, it was my thing, it is just one of the ginormous things. Uh, being in a regeneration scene, I was in two, by the way. <laughs> um, not many people can say that. Uh, it's, it's just an amazing thing. It's just an amazing, exciting thing to be in this absolutely key thing in the history of Doctor Who. Is these re- every three years or whatever it is, somebody collapses and turns into somebody entirely different. And it's really exciting to be a part of it, if you happen to know the programme. And it was always fascinating, because the vision mixer that I was working with, one of them, was the woman who had done the vision mixing for Hart and Linda Troughton. She was still at the BBC and still doing Doctor Who occasionally. So that I was really impressed by her. She, to her, it was nothing. She didn't care. It was just a day at the BBC, among <laughs> thousands of other days, but I said, did you direct that, did you vision mix that blurry bit from William Hartland about the ground? I said, oh yeah, I think I did, dear. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I, I love that and I love it. I mean, I think Peter Intercollin is still uh, the greatest regeneration scene. I think it's absolutely sublime. It's beautifully done by, directed by, um, what's that extraordinary, Graham Harper. Uh, and I love it in the floating heads, and of course that Peter's last line is my name. Of course I like that. But and then you know, and then Colin sitting up and saying, "What it's um, what's that? his line? His very famous line? I can't change, change, my change, my dear. Whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, it, it's those regenerations are fantastic to be in. Yes. Yes. When you left good. after Earthshock, did you think you ever think you'd come back for that regeneration scene? No, no, I, no, it didn't cross my mind. Um, I, I was thrilled to, be, to, to come back and do it at like five to... We used to re- record in the evenings. We used to have dinner and then record, I think, from 7 to 10.30. And that was done at like 10.29. <laughs> all of, you know, me, Sarah, Janet, Mark, were all just standing there in front of a little camera one minute before the, um, they turned the lights on. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it was a... 
Uh, I, mean, I, I believe in unions, but the BBC was a very union-ridden place, and frankly, at 10.30, those lights went on. <laughs> Unless you, you had to negotiate. If you wanted to go on for another 15 minutes, you actually had to negotiate. You had to say, look, we've got to get this finished. Please give us another, another 15 minutes. And then you know, somebody had to come down on the floor and discuss it with a representative <laughs> and everything. So, it was all, so that 25 past 10, if things weren't going very well, was a quite a tense time. If we had to go into overtime, it was quite a big sort of, will they let us or won't they? Will they switch those lights on? <laughs> um, yeah, so 10.29 on that day, we were doing that regeneration scene. Now, the little bit that you did for Time Flight, did you record that around the same time you were shooting? Um, no, 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 I came back for it. You came no, back I actually came back for it. Yeah. So I had read somewhere that that was more... Uh, Jonathan Nathan Turner wanted that done specifically so that when the Radio Times cast list came out, people weren't aware that you were going to be, your character was going to die. That's absolutely time. right. He's, he, 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 he loved, Nathan Turner, whose work on Doctor Who is absolutely brilliant, and certainly the, the time that I was in it, you know, those two years, are, I know there was unfortunate difficulties later on, and, and a lot of that, I think, was blown up by people at the BBC are hostile to it and I still think that <coughs> Colin's period is, is much better than it's sort of fashion, it was fashionable to say and there was a lot of, and I think Nathan Turner was really badly treated by the BBC to be honest but it has to be said that the time I was around he was a, everybody adored him they thought he had saved Doctor Who uh, and it was widely felt that he had done a brilliant job. And the Davison thing was thought to be brilliant and it really successful it really really worked and it really went down well um, so, but he was really good at surprise. He wanted surprises to be real. Of course, it's now with the world of the internet, it's virtually impossible to surprise anyone about anything. But I, I think I might have said this yesterday. But um, the Radio Times got in touch with him and said, "Oh, you're bringing the Cybermen back. Can we do a Cybermen cover?" Ver most producers would say yes. Having a cover of the Radio Times was yeah, a big deal. You know, it's like, it's like here. You know, having being on the cover of TV Guide is a big thing. And it's really to his credit that he said no. He said, I don't want anybody to know the Cybermen are coming back. I want them to watch the episode and then fall off their chairs in the last 30 seconds of the first episode of Earthshock. He loved that kind of thing. And so the same thing with Adric. Yeah, he didn't want any suspicion of what was going to happen because he wanted to create this particular, unique, one-off moment. Uh, I've just written some sleeve notes about Earthshock for a new DVD release of it in, in Europe. He asked me to write uh, not you know, sleeve, uh, you know, booklet notes, I mean, I suppose. Um, so I've seen it recently, and um, so, I, so I've, I've given it a bit of thought. And the thing about it is it is, it is a completely... It's, it's one of those things that is now, in a sense, an entirely different piece. Because when people watch... If they buy the DVD and there's a Cyberman on the box, and they almost certainly know that it's a story in which a companion dies, it's very difficult now not to know that, you're watching a different thing. That unique moment when you didn't know the Cybermen would come back, you didn't know the boy was going to die. That was a, a thing of that moment, completely unique and unrepeatable. Uh, but it's to his credit that he, he loved that kind of thing and managed it really well. When, did, when were you informed that, that Adric's character was going to, the, the demise of the character? Well, I, I, I knew that, that was my last story because I'd done pretty much two years, and it's a fairly standard run. And, and Earthshock was a contract renewal. So my contract had expired, and they said, will you come back and do another one? So I knew that that, that's, that, that final contract was for one more story. So I knew I was leaving. Um, but actually, I find out, found out about the death much earlier than I was supposed to, because Peter, CEO old Peter, he had to be walking about with a sort of early sample of the script for the final episode of Earthshock. So we were sitting in the coffee shop up at, on the top floor of the Acton Hilton, where we used to rehearse in London, 
And he was sitting on the, and I was drinking a cup of coffee and Sarah's and Janet and, and then there's this script. I said, oh, that looks interesting. And I owned it, so I actually read it. Um, <laughs> like weeks and weeks, even, it may even have been so, a couple of months before I was supposed to know. So this thing I was not supposed to know about, I, I knew about. And Eric, if you, when Eric Sayward does panels, he said, well, of course, Matthew didn't know until the last moment. Oh, yeah, I did. I'd read the, I'd read the script months before I was supposed to. So, did so you I knew. No, I, I don't think I pretended exactly. Um, I don't. That's a good question, actually. I don't. I don't. Think, I like your little hat. Yes, I, I'm. I'm wondering. Did I act like I didn't know? I, I. No, I don't think I acted like I didn't know. But then I didn't rush about the place telling everybody. So, it's somewhere between the two, I suppose. How did that phase you? To, to, to know that, obviously you knew you were leaving, but then to find out that, oh, we've gone one step further. Well, uh, that's an interesting thing, because again, that I had a, a number of feelings about it, one of which, that it's amazing, that it's a, a new thing, they'd never done it before. And again, just we're talking about regenerations, it's exciting to do something with Doctor Who that, that just nobody had ever done before, and that felt really significant and important and, and, and memorable. Uh, so in that sense, it was really exciting and amazing, and I had no objection to it for that one. But it's also kind of upsetting, a character you've lived with for a long time, who's also very young, acting his death scene. Uh, is quite, it is quite a melancholy feeling. Um, the wonderful head cameraman, um, who I, I've been in touch... He, he died a couple of years ago, but, but we were all in touch with him recently. Uh, he always remembered... He, he loved Doctor Who. He worked on Doctor Who... Right through the 80s. So I think he started with um, Tom's last scene. Went, I think, right to the end of Sylve. Um, I wish I could remember his name. I feel awful that I can't. Um, lovely man, anyway. But, but he always remembered that as the saddest day on the series. And he said everybody did. He said the atmosphere in the studio was so sad and melancholy. Because, you know, we knew it, it's, it's, it's the death of a character. But also it's the loss of an actor that, you know, we had got to know each other and we were, you know... So, so the, the atmosphere was a really quite, quite sad atmosphere, and he 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 discussed that with me um, many many years later, and how he always remembered it, and how everybody in the studio felt that way. You actually provided me with a double whammy, because growing up here in the states in the Midwest, we got Doctor Who on on our public television channels, frequently out of order, and we had a lot of Tom Baker. So I would watch Tom Baker. He was my first Doctor. He was the one I grew up with. I had no concept about how the show worked. And then he fell off this tower and died. <laughs> and this skinny blonde guy sits up. And I sat up and went, what is this? I had no clue that it was going to continue on and be a thing. And the companions were all, okay. Like, none of you were really certain what to make of it. And so the follow-up episode, where you're dealing with all of the confusion... I was just as confused as the rest of you were. And I was a little angry at you, specifically, because it's like, Adric's the smart one. If Adric doesn't know how to feel about this, I don't know how to feel about this. And I actually tuned out for a little while and came back to it years later, and then you died. And you want to talk that somber moment, because I, I had just kind of forgiven you. <laughs> <laughs> And I'd kind of gotten to know you again through these other adventures. And then you went and left again in yeah. such a horrible manner. <laughs> yes, it's interesting about regenerating. People do tend to be quite calm. In real life, if somebody fell on the floor and turned into a completely other person, you'd be kind of, 
well, kind of flabbergasted. <laughs> but everybody um, in, after regenerating thinks, well, that's a bit strange. The doctor's fallen on the floor. <laughs> oh, look, oh, he used to have long silver hair, and suddenly he's got, oh, he's got a flute all of a sudden. That's a bit strange, isn't it? <laughs> oh, that's weird. Anyway, doctor, we'd better go and have an adventure. It was always very like that. I remember in, um, uh, in Spearhead, Spearhead of Space, which is a story I really loved, and, and um, you know, Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart saying, oh, no, that chap's not the doctor and can't possibly be. Oh, and then he, and I think John says something that he sort of, oh, yeah, oh, yes, you're that, um, that Letter with Stuart fellow, aren't you? He said, oh, 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 well, doctor, all right, then, you're the doctor, much taller than you used to be, and you, I see you've got a little, um, tattoo on your arm, and, but then you're entirely different, but nonetheless, yeah, okay, the doctor, all right, oh, well, come and work for unit then. Um, uh, but the trouble is, if you're going to, um, dwell on it, rather <laughs> There's never a right moment when I. Have this <laughs> I'm saying very interesting stuff about regeneration. I know, and I thought, I, shall I just go? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Hello Charlie. Hello. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, Katie Man. Anyway, thank God I can shut up now. No, but, uh, in fact, we're getting near those free... free dr- half past five is free drinks up in that mezzanine. And thanks to who? Yeah, I'm getting six free drinks because I've got her card as well. Because so. I don't drink. She doesn't drink. So oh, there's, no, there's no accounting for my behaviour, darling. <laughs> <laughs> Alcohol doesn't do it, even though I do tell the story of when I did a convention and, oh, look at his cute little leggies poking out of his little shorties. Um, sorry, I find men in shorts quite riveting. Um, <laughs> I don't get out much. Um, <laughs> but I did a convention in America, and um, I think I'm there now, aren't I? I think yeah. it's the same one. Yes. Uh, it's how many America, years have I been here? Um, anyway, I'd done this whole thing. And they came on, they all said, Katie, oh, you're so funny. <laughs> and, you know, you just, oh, they said, if you have a few drinks before you go on, don't you? I went, no, I don't drink. They said, no, 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 you must. Nobody can behave that, like that without alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> and it was at that moment I realized I do have problems. <laughs> anyway, no, I thought that I'd leave it a bit later so that you could actually make some sense and have a lovely chat, because you're a very interesting and adorable man. And, uh, and it gave me a few minutes to recover from Wild Times <laughs> adventures. And, uh, of course, as you know, I'm not uh, frightfully well at the moment. <laughs> so, I just had a l- so I just thought I'd come and have a little bit of time with you and then leave you to be interesting again. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> well, I love her. <laughs> We just keep saying, why can't we work together? I know, I want to. I, I mean, want. I'm working with all these different people and Osgood and all, and, 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 and all these things we do at Big Finish, which aren't even Doctor Who, but never he and I together, and I, yeah. think, I think we should. So do I. Yeah, I think everybody should. Well, I want to play Irish Wild Times' wilder brother. Well, this is it, because <laughs> otherwise we go out as Jadrick. Jadrick. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it would be... Aren't they an Irish pop group? <laughs> <laughs> we can do that. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought it would be really nice if we, we did something, as you say, with Iris Wildtime. Mm. 
And because um, Iris has all sorts of different dalliances, and oh, does and she? as you say, to have this sort of wild whack. Oh yes, oh she's had all sorts of flings around, oh. including Father Christmas, darling. Wow, how Yay. was that? How was that for being a very naughty CD? Mm. Uh, <laughs> ho ho ho! I. <laughs> Yes, that's roughly what was said to her. (laughs) (laughs) She'd found out that Mother Christmas had been with Panda. This is the world you're getting yourself into. Yes. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. I know. Yeah. If you want to ask something sensible. No, no, talk about Big Finish, because that's really kind of been the chance for you guys to get back involved. And oh, yes, we love it, we love it. Some of us were quite fast about doing it, like Peter and uh, Sarah. Some of us were a bit slow about doing it, because we thought it wasn't going to be very good. But then we did something else. We did Dark Shadows for them. We thought it was so... St- I'm, I'm speaking fast, because I know you've all heard this before. Uh, but, uh, so I did Dark Shadows. I thought the script is fantastic, so I think I'll do Doctor Who as well. So I got in touch with them and said, I'll do Doctor Who. And now I can't stop doing Doctor I do Doctor Who all the time. I'm always sitting around either doing one or waiting for the next script or waiting for the next date. It's so fabulous. We love it. And it's interesting because we were talking, weren't we, about the effect of uh, regeneration on characters and the fact that they don't really care. Um, I did actually a very good one called (laughs) Psychodrome, which does explore how characters react to the regeneration. And Adric doesn't react very well to, to the fifth doctor because he adores the fourth doctor and they've become very close. Have that master people relationship. I didn't know all like this that. was going on. <laughs> yes. And yeah, anyway, that's enough of that. But anyway, it's called Psychodrome. It's very, and, but it does explore the very issue you were bringing up about five minutes ago. So I thought uh, I would just plug that. I, I just say, like you, um, David Richardson was constantly. And I said, no, why would I do it without John? You know, that's pointless. And I did the first one, which I'll be honest with you, I didn't understand at all. Right, the doll of death. And I thought, mm. <laughs> you know. Anyway, I then went on to do more. And like you, I began to really enjoy. Because I also didn't think I could do young Joe anymore. Because I was playing John, the Brig, uh, everybody else, because there was nobody there. And so I, I was playing everybody, and I got very used to that. So, of course, when Tim Trelaw came in currently, I, I kept going to speak the doctor's lines, <laughs> you know. Um, but also the great thing that we're saying about Big Finish, you know, I've done Dorian Gray, I've done Torchwood, where I play the most fabulous evil person. I love that. Um, and I've done, uh, what, a Dracula and uh, various Bavarian people, including a nun. Who were you in Dracula? I played the um, Bavarian bar lady, or innkeeper, mm-hmm. and the nun that takes them on this little... Oh, how moment. fabulous. Oh, Such yeah. good casting. <laughs> 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 and, um, you know, and then I got to record my own play for them. Um, and I've just done... Oh, and then, you know, we've got the wonderful one, The Scorchies, where I get to sing... And nobody believed it was me. They kept saying, oh, was that, you know, the other, um, Melvin Hayes doing it? I said, no, <laughs> I sung Cool Cack and the Murderous Mices and I played Joe and I did Mr. Cleverman. You know, because Cool Cat was very, Joe is making a thing. He's got lights and flash and go bean. And, you know, we had to, it was wonderful. And then um, went on to do, uh, obviously now I'm working with new unit, 
He's so riveted, he just opened his eyes. No, he's painted eyeballs. <laughs> You've painted eyeballs on your eyelids, haven't you? To look like you're interested. I can listen to you. <laughs> and, and so now, of course, I'm coming back as, as Joe Jones, which is terrific, but the only person I need to come back with and do something with, whatever it is, is my friend Edric. So, yes. Did either of you think that years down the line, when you were doing this, this yeah. is probably an obvious question, but did, was there any imagination? Did you even imagine you'd be revisiting Can I say one community? thing, though? When, after John, which is when, and I'm only going to say this because you, you guys were a lot later, I'm so much older, um, <laughs> and when we went into it, just literally had been put into a different time. We had proper army and navy and no longer those sort of banana republic people in safari suits and paper badges you know it, it moved up you know they'd also were working with special effects because you lot don't remember that computers then were a room this big um you know which is very hard for and we also bring brought in the master and we brought in you know new aspects to the show color and it, started, <laughs> and it started to lift, which is why they were recasting from the wonderful, you know, she, she was absolutely brilliant, but they needed someone with the Doctor who wasn't an equal. And uh, anyway, so Barry Letts made all these changes, and he wanted to start bringing it into having younger people. Not You never lose the fact that it was a children's show, and it must never lose that element. When it loses that, it's very sad, because that is... You know, one of the great gifts of the show that it is for the family, and then it, we started to get teenagers, and then I don't know whether the mini skirts had anything to do with it, <laughs> but the daddy started watching, and it came on um, just after the football, so it was kind of the family were gathered, and we got into the about the third, and the, the figures were right at the top the biggest they'd ever been and they found out it was 75% adult viewing i.e. over the age of I guess about 10 or something and so it has started to become a cult and but that didn't indicate to us that it was going to be you know one day you're going to be a plastic figurine and you're going to you know <laughs> be able to lick the back of my head on a sheet of stamps and you know all these terribly exciting things and we're going to be video games mm. you know there was no inkling back then mm. and then when tom came into it so we'd already hit the highest viewing rates and you knew that it was cult because you know when you were traveling around suddenly everybody wanted to say good day and then uh when tom came in it went to its next high and you know i think after then you started to know that you were in a not necessarily what we have now but you knew you were in a very successful mm. television show mm. so i think you know that was we we kind of were in that curve of glory of watching it just get there and you know we arrived in a helicopter one day in a field and there's all these people and they're getting very excited and screaming and I said to John what have we done wrong they can't all be extras (laughs) 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 bailing from (laughs) and he said no dear girl he said I think they're called fans (laughs) (laughs) you know so that's that's how my take on it. And no, you would never in a pink fit. But the great thing is, I now have got something to leave my children. 
I can now leave them three plastic figurines, <laughs> a sheet of stamps, two video games, and a cut-out um, paper dolly dress-up joke. Which, that's the best. Cut-out dolly joke. You know, how lucky are my kids? <laughs> 50 years an actress, that's what they get. Yeah. <laughs> and she's more than the children of most actresses get. <laughs> <laughs> So now I've passed the question over. What was the question? I completely lost track of What planet are we on? Did you, did you even conceive that it would become what it is today? No, well, the thing about it was that... I mean, I, I never thought it would be stopped. So I thought what is now called Classic Who would just be, still be going. I, never, it never, I was amazed when they, they stopped making it. It seemed to me ridiculous. So in a sense, I thought it would go on forever. What I never thought was that people would be watching the old episodes. Because, mm. you know, when we were in it, I think VHS was just beginning. But because of the contract equity had with the BBC, the, the theory was that negotiating to put BBC material on VHS would have been a nightmare. It would have been virtually impossible to do. And in fact, it, it's one of the reasons why it took years and years for any BBC stuff to appear on VHS, because the, the contracts were so complicated. But they do, look, I mean, I have to say here that we are very well looked after by the BBC. Oh, yeah, I'm not complaining about No, no, BBC. but I mean, yeah. so that oh, people are. know, the BBC yeah. do, they have been very honourable, because yeah. when you look at how many years ago I was mm. in it, and I am still, every single thing, I mean, there are things that the BBC said, BBC said there's so much out there now and because mm. of, you know, the internet and so on, mm. there are things that we lose. But basically, mm. our contracts were absolutely watertight and brilliant. Oh, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. And did but you really believe, sorry, mm. did you honestly believe that it would not stop? Well, yeah, well, did it had been on all my life, so I assumed it would probably go on throughout my life. Didn't you feel that it maybe sometimes things need to stop? Oh, yeah, but not Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some things need to say. Now, you see, I'm I only bringing this up because, I mean, now we can have the conversation about it. I'm probably going to say something you're all going to be struck horror with. Um, yes, it could have gone on. Could have kind of just, you know, zoom, plattling along. Everybody was brilliant in it. There was no weak links in it. I mean, there might have been... I might have had a few things about certain production people... I won't mention any names who I thought occasionally let it down a little bit, teensy, bitsy bit, from what I saw. But there was also, but it was still as brilliant and as wonderful and as remarkable. But I, I just believe that to have the quality that we that Russell T Davis brought back, it would have had to have stopped to have gone there. And I think it's the greatest thing they did was actually stop it and wait for this remarkable man to ha who has... And everybody who's produced it is a, absolutely passionate about Doctor Who, mm. and you can see that love. And, you know, there's never been one Doctor from beginning to now that I don't think has been a superb performance. Mm. No, I agree with that. And I, I don't think we'd have what we have now, in all honesty, if it hadn't mm. sort of... Just, and it was beginning to do things that made the BBC, rightly or wrongly, say, maybe we'll let it rest. And that, that, mm. I'm just what I shared that with you. Yeah, that's you. very reasonable. Because, very reasonable you know, it's, it, but it is 
after all, only an opinion. Mm. You know, there ain't no facts. No. <laughs> no. It'd be very interesting to know if, if it had gone on, would it have lasted or would it have fizzled out? You're probably right. In the end, it probably would have fizzled out because in the end, just everything fizzles out, doesn't it? You're right. It would probably have fizzled out. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Fizzling. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you're probably right, actually, on, ref- on reflection. If you know what I mean. Yes, I and do, it, I it's, do. It's, it's looking at it, with, you know, however big a fan you are, Sometimes, you know, you've got to love something enough to let it go and then mm. then be sort of rethought, reimagined, because it's too damned good idea mm. to lose the concept. And that's mm. what's so remarkable. They've kept that. Mm. And all those little... But like you, who knew that little tiny kitties mm. were becoming... It was very frightening in a... There's little ones watching those. It's, it's gorgeous. Oh, I know. It's amazing. That is one of the weirdest things. You go to events like this, and um, they watched The Green Death last night. <laughs> of course, you probably watched The Green Death, well, 40 years ago, and I don't know how many times since. 41. 41. <laughs> uh, but, 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 but now it's so accessible. People literally, they come in the house and say, I watched, I watched this 35-year-old programme last night. And it still seems, really, that's quite Isn't a weird. Isn't that wonderful? Of, oh, it's great. It's, it's quite weird. I mean, it I says like it. so much for, you know, and, 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 and watching how the programme developed over the years, <coughs> I find just, you know, very fascinating from, mm. like, going... Because I used to watch it, obviously, with William, <coughs> with William Hartnell. And then to go from, you know, to Hartnell to Troughton, and then, you know, I, I'd seen John Pertwee in it with lovely Caroline John and so on and so forth. And then I had to catch up with you guys because living in America and Australia, you didn't have the, the wonderful regular, here it is, it's the weekend, who's on, you know. Uh, I do feel we're very lucky in England to have that. Oh, absolutely, yes. Um, and, it, 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 you know, and no commercials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, if we're, if we're going to start ranting, I have to say, BBC America does my head in. I, oh. they, they cut into Put it. Put it there, buddy. <laughs> yeah. How just, dare they? they? It's, it's, it's not only that there are adverts, it's just they cut in. There's completely all the wrong, the wrong moments. And, and all of the adverts are so depressing. And they're all for, you know, expensive colleges or... Or antidepressants or things, and then you so what you then, and then you go all back the side to side effects of if all, you take a hay fever. Yeah, hay fever. Oh yes. I yes. have hay fever. I now think I'm manic depressive. Mm. I have suicidal <laughs> thoughts. Uh, you know, I I have developed a tick in my left eye. Um, you know, I was quite well till I came here. Now look at me. I'm down the medical centre. I'm on every drug you can lay your hands on. I don't read the side effects. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and they've got little wobbly bits going on at the bottom of the screen. They're telling you about next week's episode while you're still watching this week's episode. I just, be, no, just I, 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 I couldn't it, yeah. bear it. It's unbearable. Do you know, in England, on, we used to have a, a, a commercial channel. <laughs> called it commercial, darling, because we yes. put commercials on. You call them ads. We call them commercials. Commercials. And they, you, they're, they're not doing it now, but they're still a little better. Australia is like America. You know, you get just to the punchline, and they go, and we're down the Windsor Road, and let me do it. And you're going, wait a minute, hang on, hang on, he's just about to kiss her, mm. and you, I'm going down the Windsor Road to look at second-hand cars. <laughs> you know, don't do this to me. Anyway, they used to do a thing, and you would remember this. They, they would have, um, like, 20 minutes or something, and then it would say, end of part one. 
And then the little Tetley tea bag men. Mm. The Tetley tea, <laughs> tea bag men. Oh, oh yes. yes. Gave you enough time to go and put kettle on. Mm. So you can have a nice cup of tea, mm. you see. And then you, and then you hear the little bits of Tetley tea bag music again, mm. or whatever commercials he'd done. And then it says, part, part two. So everybody goes back into the sitting room, and you sit down, and you watch. What's wrong with that? <laughs> have a very interesting chemistry and, and part of the, the, the culture of being in Doctor Who is that you have now graduated into the former Doctor Who companions. Even though you're separated by 10 or 15 years between when your, your various eras were on. Oh, I thought you were talking about our age. I was going to say, I'll tell you about it. When, when, you, when you meet at events like this, how much family is, is that that you get to see different actors and, and uh, and Janet Fielding. Or, or, oh, it, it does. Uh, it does. Uh, uh, I, uh, it does. It is amazing. Yes, when we're doing Big Finish with Peter, Janet, Sarah, and me, it is. It's absolutely like, th like thirty-five years ago. It's exactly the same. And then all these lovely actors that I've not worked with, <laughs> but uh, but that I, I know, you know, Katie and say, Fraser, yeah. and Sophie Aldred, and Syl. We all get and, on. And it, yeah, it's 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 fab. And, we, we, and we're also at that thing where we get on, but we can also play with and tease each yes. other. There's none of this sort of, you know, Janet will say, because, you know, I'm perfect sort of, you know, punch for... <laughs> and, you know, we both can... But it's done, it's, it's a kind mm. of a love, it's the characters, it's the kind mm. of friendships you have in life, you know? Mm. I mean, it's not... And they are absolutely genuine. You know, there's not one single person who even vaguely gets up my nose. <laughs> By God, there's room. No. Um, <laughs> you know, I think they're all absolutely wonderful. And then all the technical people and, mm. you know, so, and oddly enough, I've just been working with, um, um, oh, God, my brain. I'm, this is going to, we've just saying, were well, you close? And I was just going to say, I've just been working with them. Um, <laughs> Richard Franklin and John Levine. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, <laughs> but I'm um, sorry, it really is. I'm, I'm really badly. Um, <laughs> but John Levine, I knew when I was living in LA, and you know, he was living here. Uh, Richard and I go and have tea together regularly. We've stayed really, really good friends, you know. And it's the first time that we've been back in the studio together because you guys get to work together a lot but mine, yeah. mine apart from them have all gone because only me that's why I do all the voices um, and so that's lovely to have Tim Trelaw who's joined us now and he, he, he saved me I was locked in the toilet at Big Finish and he got me out and then he got I got all my wires caught around me my handbag and that and the thing and, and so he's become my doctor now I mean he's getting me out of really bad you know he broke down the toilet door he got me out um, so the man is now definitely it but it was lovely having Richard and John there even though Joe was not a unit soldier you know you read about Joe being a spy she had one ability darling and as we've said many many times it was just one thing that woman could do and that was pick locks <laughs> everything else she just did because she was quite smart actually um, and she was funny um, so it was, it was quite nice because you know you, working with them and sort of having Unix because we no longer have Nick with us and so on and so it's, it's very sad really to look at 
those that I've, I, you know, I've lost my team. So when I got my two boy buddy, you know, there's lovely pictures on Twitter, you know, and now they're my boys, they're my boys, you know, and it, it's, you know, my homies. Does the, does the, does it click again? Do you guys, when you get Dolly, back you in never, it, you never, I mean, mm, if I don't see unclicks, you really. for like, uh, you don't unclick within a team, but even mm. seeing you or, or Janet or, mm. or, or, or Peter or, and, you know, I often go to functions and Peter's there with Capaldi and all that. We're all buddies. I mean, I had a lovely day with um, Matt Lucas the other day who took the worst selfie of us both. You ever, I look, we look like we could be babies from the same mother. That's all I need. I look more like Nardo. <laughs> We've both got the same cheeks. <laughs> um, so not only are we very friendly in those, but we're very friendly with the new ones. And then every time, I mean, as soon as I saw Matthew, my little heart started beating. I knew I was in for a really terrific week. I didn't know I was going to get this sick. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I knew it was going to be great to hang out with him because he's wonderful and a lovely actor and a bloody brilliant writer, may I say. So. Thank you. And I feel the same way about Buy his book. It's yeah. worth it. It's sold out, actually. We've got, still got a couple of my novels. You can still purchase got my novels, unfortunately, Blue Box Boy, none, none left And here. his novels, I actually like better than anything. I'm, I've read one of your novels. Oh, have you? Oh, lovely. I went out, yeah. I oh. told you I was going to. Yeah, I didn't know you really would. <laughs> <laughs> I am one of the few people you'll meet who does. Oh, I'm lovely. Well, because, you know... It's support, and also, mm. I was really nosy. I wanted to know if he was any good. Or, oh, can we tell them that story before I go? Literally go um, about when we first met. Oh, oh, you mean about um, Professor? Do you want to tell it? Yes, it's quite funny. Um, uh, actually, it's fatal isn't it, to tell a story by start saying it's quite funny. Um, <laughs> but yes, um, Peter Davidson. Yes. I'll tell it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, hang on, we're talking about um, the Lala Ward, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so... Um, is, uh, <laughs> Peter Davison was there. Was Peter Davison yeah, there? Yeah, Lala oh, wasn't, thank God. Oh, Lala, no, oh, Lala wasn't there. Maybe oh, I'll tell the story. Yeah, you tell the story. Um, <laughs> yeah, you tell the story, anyway, but it's good anyway. I hadn't met Matthew, and it was a delight to meet him, because, I mean, let's face it, what a little cutie. Now and then. I mean, look at the picture now, and you're like, whoa. Um... <laughs> Anyway, so we were, I was, and it was the first convention I'd done in America, I think we were, yeah, um, for, because I didn't do a lot for a long time, um, especially during the 80s, I did virtually none. Anyway, so it was Peter Davidson, and it was Matthew, who I, you know, didn't, had never met before, or me, and I'd been out of the country, so I didn't really know what was going on anywhere, and so we were talking, and then someone said, uh, something about Lala, uh, Lala Ward, you see, and they said, oh, yes, um, that she had married this wonderful man, right, called Richard Dawkins. Now, I slightly... I'd never heard of Richard Dawkins, and I thought they said Hawkins. Now, we all know who I thought she'd married, don't we? Do you know who I mean? Stephen Stephen Hawkins. Hawkins. Oh. So without really think, I know. <laughs> I mean, so without really thinking, I couldn't help myself. I went, 
Oh, how lovely. <laughs> it's just, I, I'm a little, you know, I just couldn't imagine Lala Ward marrying Stephen Hawkins, but I know they'll be really happy together. <laughs> By which point, Matthew, who's never met me, is just like, what the... <laughs> right? <laughs> and Peter Davidson's going, no. No, 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 no dear. Dawkins. <laughs> so um, that was my first encounter with Matthew. <laughs> but it's a hell of a visual. I still can't yeah, get it out of my I head. <laughs> The very name of Lala Ward brings that picture into my it, head. Me too. Her, and I, you like know, I mean, I've, I've, I've had Professor to tell Paul Lala Hawkins. that story. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I thought you'd married Stephen Hawkins, darling. I hate to say it or sound in any way wrong, but I'm frightfully glad you did. <laughs> oh, I think our time is about up, right? Oh! That's about it for uh, this one. Plus, we've got to get to the bar, so... Too right, yeah, they'll be running out of the wine. I'm going to get through six of them. And you guys are here the rest of the weekend, And I'm so... going to go to bed. <laughs> I'm afraid to say I, I, I have nothing left now, and I thank you so much for being so lovely and patient with me over the last two days. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Katie Manning and Matthew Waterhouse. <laughs> been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.